Jesus' final command to his followers was to go and make disciples of all nations. Our Compassion family is committed to making a difference here and now, in our neighborhoods, our communities, and our world. When you give Beyond Your Tithe to Compassion Outreach, you fuel ministries across the street and around the globe, many of which were launched by Compassion Christians just like you, who were compelled to make a difference in the lives of our neighbors. Whether it's caring for the orphan by supporting foster and adoptive parents, providing meals to food insecure children in our local schools, or serving our refugee community by teaching English and providing vital social support, we are working to transform our communities with the love of Jesus. And all over the world, our global partners are bringing the hope of Christ to people who have never heard the gospel, as well as providing vital resources like education, clean water, medical care, and so much more. We are a part of the global body of Christ, and we are doing our part to see His kingdom come here on earth, just as we will one day experience it together in heaven. You matter. None of this is possible without your prayers, generosity, and willingness to go whether it's next door or across an ocean. When you make your faith promise, your financial commitments create our outreach budget, allowing us to sustain these incredible ministries for the coming year. In faith, we trust that God will provide. And we make a promise to bring what we have and ask Jesus to multiply it. For the lost. For the hurting. For the marginalized. And for his glory. We are choosing compassion. Because together, we can do so much more to make a difference here and now. Well, hey, friends, we're capturing this message from my home today because two days ago on Monday night, I was informed that I tested positive for COVID-19. Now, I'm doing great. My symptoms are really mild, and I thank God for that. But this has created a huge complication for me because I cannot come to our campus without exposing other people. And we had our tech team set up to film this in my backyard and then run uh, because we don't want them exposed. We don't want them to have any kind of a problem either because this is just a super important week in the life of our church. This is week two of our Faith Promise celebration. Now, we set aside three weeks every year to focus on the impact that we're making through Christ locally and around the world, and just to celebrate that, and also, honestly, to give every compassionate Christian an opportunity to be a part of it. And so these are extraordinary times, which require extraordinary measures. Uh, man, I would appreciate your prayers for me and my family. Uh, pray for Sarah uh, to stay clear of this virus. And you know she cannot keep her hands off of me, and so I'm really worried about her. So she's tested negative so far, but <laughs> if, you would, if you would pray for her, I mean, I would appreciate that. And then pray for me that I'll be through this thing and back to full strength as soon as possible. And while we're praying, uh, man, let's pray for our country as well. Uh, you know, we just had one of the tightest political contests for the presidency in our country's history, which means that half the people in our country are celebrating today and the other half feel like they failed to accomplish what they feel like needed to be changed. Now, my prayer is that ultimately our trust is not going to be in politics. Uh, friends, I hope your trust is in the Lord who is at work now and will continue to be at work in our lives and in our country and in our world. 
So let me just thank you for conducting yourself as a follower of Jesus with civility and humility and unity and charity so far. And man, I pray that we will continue to distinguish ourselves as followers of Christ, regardless of the political direction our country takes. Now I'm filming this on Wednesday morning, so I have no idea how the election has turned out, but I do know this. I know that God loves us and he loves our country. And so let's pray that God will bless America and that we will keep our ultimate hope in him. So pray with me, will you? Father, thank you for this opportunity we have as a church family to get together and pray. Lord, we, we thank you that we live in a democratic process. We pray, God, that everybody in our country will accept the outcome of this process and behave, Lord, in a way that will bring honor to you and dignity to our nation. I pray, God, that uh, as your word says, that we will be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, make our requests made known to you. And then, Lord, trust that the peace that you alone can give will guard our hearts and our minds and our nation. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. Okay, friends, like I said, we're in the middle of our Faith Promise Celebration where we talk about the global and local impact of our ministry together. And again, man, this is a very unusual year. I mean, literally half of our church is participating in this service through Compassion Online. And man, if that's you, wherever you may be in the world, Man, we're so thankful that you're going to have an opportunity to help us change our world for Christ in just the next couple of weeks. In addition, though, for the first time in decades, because of this global pandemic, we did not have hundreds of Compassion Christians travel to support and encourage and pray with our partners in Europe and Asia and Africa and North and South America like we always have. Now, we're praying, God willing, that we'll be able to resume our mission trips in 2021 because supporting those partners around the world is how our church creates this ripple effect that is now making a difference around the world right here and right now. Now, friends, our heart for spiritually disconnected people and for hurting people around the world doesn't make our church special. It makes our church normal. Listen, that is exactly what Jesus intended for his church, to have a global impact. Anything less than that is abnormal. And listen, that's why our pact ministry here in Savannah has been running wide open through this pandemic, uh, providing 10,000 bags of food a month for children in our community who struggle with food insecurity. That's why many of you have volunteered and donated your time and money and resources for the Lighthouse Ministry that provides food and help to families in our community that are having a difficult time. And I love to see this local action, this local compassion in the name of Jesus. And I know you do too. Let me, let me hear everybody say amen. But friends, the vision of Jesus for his church was not just local, it was global. So if you got a Bible with you, turn with me to Acts chapter one. We're gonna look at verse eight. This is a key verse. And we're gonna look at Jesus's plan to reach the world here and now. Now in Acts chapter one, verse eight, Jesus himself said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you will be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and then Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Now friends, this is the vision of Jesus for his church, expanding circles of influence that start right here at home where we are. You know, this is why we start campus after campus right here in our area to reach everybody in our community for Christ. But then we have a, a broader impact uh, in our region, and then a broader impact in our nation, and eventually the, the, the broadest impact to, to the ends of the earth. Man, we want to reach as many people as, as we can, as fast as we can, because you, listen, you know people are dying without Jesus every day, and that's bad. That's bad. You know, at the end of our Heaven Bound series uh, last month, 
I had a guy write me and say, Cam, you know what? I never knew my dad. Uh, he died when I was a baby. I hope he's in heaven, but I don't know. And, and I got to counsel him a little bit about that, you know, and I, I certainly hope his dad is in heaven. And if he is in heaven, then my buddy's going to see him one day. But friends, the only way you know for sure anybody is in heaven is if somebody tells them about Jesus and they are saved by him. So friends, let me tell you what I hope will be the outcome of today's message. I hope every compassionate Christian will commit to do whatever we can to reach our world for Christ. And I'm going to share with you just a list of some simple, practical ways that we can do that. Now, first of all, we can reach our world for Jesus here now if we choose to pray. Everybody say pray. All right, fantastic. <coughs> if you were to ask our missionaries, what can we do to help you? Surprisingly enough, money would not be the number one answer. Prayer would be. Now, maybe you'd be surprised by that because of your own cynicism. I mean, you know, maybe you prayed a prayer and it would answer the way you wanted and so you gave up on prayer. Or maybe it's an indictment of ourselves because, you know, as Americans, we tend to think, you know, money and resources might do more good than prayer. But listen, for our friends who are serving in countries around the world, some of which are super hostile to the gospel, prayer is a gift that all of our global partners hope to receive. Now, you know, the Apostle Paul is probably the best known uh, missionary of all time. And he asked his friends to pray for him in three specific ways. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, he asked the church that they would pray for boldness. Now, look at Ephesians 6, 19. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words will be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I will declare it fearlessly as I should. Now, he's talking about sharing the gospel in jail. Not, we're not in jail, but man, we should still pray for boldness. Now, we have this amazing couple in our church who recently moved to a country in North Africa that I cannot even name because it's 99.9% .9 Muslim in that country and it's dangerous for Christians to live and serve the Lord there. But listen, they are making amazing progress building a community of Christ followers in that country, but they had to move thousands of miles away from their children and their grandchildren to do that. And I'm telling you, I appreciate that level of commitment. But that culture is so spiritually dark that most of the people there have never even heard that you can have your sins forgiven and you can have a place in heaven reserved for you by putting your faith in Jesus. They've never even heard the good news that many of us blew off a hundred times before we got saved. In fact, all their lives, these folks have heard the opposite. They've heard that if you work real hard, and dude, if you be real good, if you get your stuff completely and perfectly together, then maybe, maybe you'll get some mercy. Maybe. And friends, that works theology is false teaching. You don't work your way to heaven. You work your way to hell. Heaven comes as a gift by faith in Jesus. But these folks, they are indoctrinated in that false doctrine. Now, I had a friend of mine go to work in a Muslim country years ago, and I asked him, I said, dude, what does it take? to lead a person who grew up in Islam to Jesus. And he said, it's simple. It just takes 1,000 cups of coffee. That's all, just 1,000 cups of coffee because you gotta build a friendship and you gotta build trust and you gotta show them some love. And, and when that happens, then the doors will begin to open. But I'll tell you, Ralph and Charlotte have boldly waded into that challenge. And let me tell you, people are getting saved in North Africa today because they did. Now, I remember my buddy sharing with us that serving there 
was like seeing rays of light streaming through thick darkness, thick spiritual darkness. And it's beautiful, he said. But I'm telling you, somebody's got to go there and explain to those folks what the gospel means and how they can find new life in Jesus. And friends, when you're in that kind of environment and you know that there are people back home who are praying for you, and then they're coming to pray with you, and then God, like we will be doing God willing in, in 2021, and then together we see those prayers answered, bro, that's a win. I mean, that's a huge kingdom win, right? Now, Paul knew this. Consequently, when he wrote uh, the book of Colossians to his friends uh, in Turkey, he said, pray for open doors. Pray that God will open a door for us so that we can clearly share the gospel. In Colossians chapter 4, Paul said, pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Again, he's writing from jail. Man, pray that I will proclaim it clearly as I should. This brother been arrested for his faith, but he was not discouraged in his faith because people were praying for him. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but we've been working in some of the highest stress areas in the Middle East for some time now. We've been praying for God to just open a door, and friends, it has happened. It's amazing. Uh, we've been working with missionaries that reach out to Jewish people in Israel and share the gospel with them. And that is a tough place to share the gospel, but man, they're being effective. We're also working with ministries in that area of the world that reach out to Palestinian people on the West Bank with the gospel. And that ministry has been effective as well. But we've been praying that Jesus would do a work of spiritual reconciliation between the Jewish people and the Palestinian people based on the mutual love of Jesus. And only that, those people hate each other. But we feel like if they both come to know Jesus, that will have a reconciling effect. Now, you've got to know that the cultural and political and racial tension between the Palestinians and the Jews is, is daunting, right? So we've been praying for a door to open for years, and summer before last, God answered that prayer by opening a door that was just amazing. Now, we believe that the Lord was leading us to put together a summer church camp. Uh, like we have here for our students because, you know, more students get saved at church camp than anything else we do. So our plan was to go to Israel and invite Palestinian and Israeli students to come to this camp together, hopefully lead some of them to Jesus, and then he could lead them to love each other. <laughs> and we tried to pull this off in Israel. It's against the law. I mean, we couldn't do it on the West Bank. It's brutally complicated. Laws in Israel wouldn't even allow it. So, so dude, what do we do? Well, we pray some more. For God to open a door, right? And as we continue to pray, doors continue to open. Now, we have partners that have a church camp in Poland that we partner with, and we had two of their staff members literally serve with us for a year, a year or so ago. They're awesome folks. And they volunteered to host this camp that we call the 5C Camp because we found a way to transport really sharp student leaders from five different cultures, Israeli, Palestinian students, American and Polish students, and then people from the Roma culture in Eastern Europe as well. And friends, as far as we know, this has never happened before in church history. I know it ain't happened in Savannah, I can tell you that. But man, the door opened a summer ago for us to host this camp in Poland. And here is a picture of Israeli and Palestinian students praying together for each other. And dude, that is the answer to our prayers. Can I hear somebody say amen? That's awesome. Listen, next summer, God willing, we're going to do it again. And so, friends, when we pray for boldness and we pray for God to open doors for us, we expect that to happen. And when it does, we can pray for the gospel to spread. 
Now listen, Paul told his friends in Thessaloniki in Greece, finally, brothers, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. Boldness, opportunities, spreading the gospel. Friends, listen, if we were to start targeting our prayers in specific ways, like Paul's asking here, I'm telling you, situations in our world would begin to change. Here's the question. Do you know what country has the fastest growing church in the world today? Iran. Can you believe that? Iran, man, there are YouTube videos about this. Iran is in what missiologists call the 1040 window. And this is the part of the world where most of the unreached people who have never even heard the gospel live. Uh, it's between 10 degrees and 40 degrees north of the equator. And friends, in a completely hostile environment, the church is growing in Iran at over 20% a year. And every convert to Christianity is facing state persecution because they converted from Islam, which is kind of a nationalistic thing over there. And, and, and there's no church buildings. There's no organization. People are just leading their friends to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Not far from there in India, one of our church partners told us that persecution from nationalistic Hebrew extremists is increasing against their ministry right now. If you're looking for somebody to pray for, pray for our friends in India, all right? But because of your financial support, our partners in India were able to add another wing to the mission hospital that we support there right on time last year in anticipation of the in increased need that's been produced by COVID, uh, the COVID pandemic. Now, once again, God is way ahead of us, man. He is providing for needs that we don't even see yet, and he's already in place. Now, we were able to offer free COVID testing to patients there in India, patients who just a couple years ago would have been suffering from this virus laying on, on the dirt floor of their hut. And they are now being treated in a modern hospital that God used your generosity to provide. And they're telling us in India that it's so ironic that the very politicians who oppose them in public because they're Christians come to our hospital when they're sick because they know our hospital is the place where Christians care for sick people. And friends, I'm just telling you, God is using that to open a door for the gospel. Now, friends, many of our missionaries face spiritual warfare and obstacles that we cannot even imagine. We need to pray for them because for them, prayer is not a part of the battle. Prayer is the battle. And I'm telling you, it's a force multiplier. Now, one of my favorite stories is written in uh, John Ortberg's book. If you want to, you know, walk on the water, you got to get out of the boat. And he shares about kind of an adventure in prayer that involved Doug Coe, who is the guy who started the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington, D.C., and Doug's had a ministry up there for years that basically involves people in politics. Now, Doug was discipling a young insurance guy named Bob, who's a new believer. And one week, the lesson was on prayer, and Doug shared Matthew 17, 20, where Jesus said, I tell you the truth, that if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it'll move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, <laughs> Bob was a new believer, and he's a little skeptical about that promise. And so Doug challenged him in a very unusual way. He said, Bob, here's what we'll do. I'll bet you 500 bucks that if you pray for anything every day for six months, God will move a mountain for you. And Bob said, I'll take that bet. And so Doug said, all right, here's the rules. You got to pray every day for six months. If nothing happens, I owe you $500. If at the end of six months, you think a mountain moved, you think a mountain moves, I'll pay you $500. And if you miss one day praying, you pay me 500 bucks. And Bob's like, deal, I'll take it. 
And so Doug said, Bob, what do you want to pray for? And he said, I don't know. He said, well, pick a country. He said, uh, Africa. <laughs> like, uh, uh, Bob, Africa's a continent. That's, that's a pretty big place, man. Why don't you pick one country in Africa to pray about? And he went, uh, how about Kenya? And Doug was like, do you know anybody in Kenya? He's like, nope. He said, you ever been to Kenya? Nope. Just came to mind. Just popped to mind. And so Bob said, okay, uh, I'm going to start praying for Kenya. God bless Kenya every day for six months, and then we'll see what happens. So he goes like 60 days. Nothing happens. And then one night he's attending a dinner, and he sits next to this very engaging African lady. And in the course of the conversation, he finds out she lives in Kenya, and she runs the largest orphanage in the country, and this kind of lights him up, right? And so he's super interested, starts just peppering her with questions about Kenya. And she finally says, why are you so interested in my country? And he was a little embarrassed to say, well, this guy who's discipling me, I'm a new believer. Uh, this guy who's discipling me bet me 500 bucks. And if I, you know, it was a little, a little embarrassing, right? Uh, she didn't believe it. But she did invite him to come to Kenya and visit her orphanage. And Bob felt compelled to accept that invitation. Now, as you might imagine, I don't know if you've ever been to an orphanage like that. I have many times. And let me tell you, they wreck you. I mean, those little kids are so beautiful and I, it, it'll just wreck you, right? And that's what happened to, to Bob. When he saw that orphanage, man, his heart was so moved that when he came back to the U.S., he just couldn't get out of his mind what he had seen. And so he began to pray with even greater intensity, Lord, what can I do to help these kids in Kenya? And as he was praying, an idea came to him. He wrote a letter to several of the largest U.S. pharmaceutical companies and described this vast need that he had seen in Kenya. And then he reminded them that every year, you know, you just destroy large amounts of medical supplies and pharmaceuticals that are because they're out of date or because they went unsold. They're perfectly good. You just can't sell them in the U.S. Why don't you send them to that orphanage in Kenya and, and they can do some good and you can get the tax write-off. And many of those companies did. And that orphanage suddenly was deluged with millions of dollars of free medical supplies. And so the director called Bob up and said, Bob, this is amazing. We have received this phenomenal gift because of letters that you wrote. We'd love for you to fly back over here and join us for a celebration. Will you come? And so Bob was like, of course I will. So he flies back to Kenya. And while he was there, the president of Kenya, you know, came to the celebration because this is the largest orphanage in the country, right? And then he offered to take Bob on a tour of Nairobi, the capital city of Kenya. And of course, you know, they're taking this tour and having a great time. And they pull up to a red light and Bob looks over and it's like this stockyard except it's just jack full of people. And he turns to the president and says, Mr. President, what's this? And he said, that's a prison for political prisoners. And Bob was like, Mr. President, that's a bad idea, man. You'll let those guys go. And the president said, there's no one in the world I can let those guys go. These are political prisoners. They tried to overthrow my government. And Bob said, I'm just telling you, man, human beings should not be treated like that. You ought to let those people go. And so... Red light turns, light turns green, they drive off, all good, finish the tour, get on the airplane, Bob flies home. Several weeks later, he receives a phone call from the U.S. State Department Undersecretary of African Affairs. And the voice says, is this Bob? And he's like, yep. He said, were you recently in Kenya? Sure was. Did you make any statement to the president of Kenya about political prisoners? He's like, uh, yeah. Could you tell us exactly what you said? Uh, I told him, that's a bad idea. You ought to let those people go. And they're like, is that it? Yep, pretty much. 
And then they said, well, Mr. Hunter, on behalf of the U.S. State Department, I want to thank you for negotiating the release of those political prisoners. Man, we've been trying to convince the president to release those guys for years with no success. However, he did recently release them, and he said it was because of a conversation he had with you. Now, Bob's money is in danger at this point. A couple months later, the president of Kenya makes another phone call to Bob. He says, Bob, I'm going to restructure my government and select a new cabinet. I'm wondering if you would help me with that. And Bob was like, Mr. President, I don't know a thing about government. I don't know a thing about your country, honestly, except just the orphanage. He said, no, I don't need any help with that. I just want you to pray for me. And Bob was like, now that, that I can do. So Bob got on the airplane, this unassuming insurance salesman with no political experience, no political ties, boarded the plane once more, flies to Kenya where he prayed for God to give the president of that country wisdom from above as he formed his new government. And it resulted in the highest percentage of Christians in those cabinet positions than ever before. And friends, all of this happened because Bob, a relatively new Christian, consistently prayed for people half a world away and lost 500 bucks in the process. But what did he gain? And what did the people of Kenya gain? What did the kingdom of God gain? Now friends, last week we talked about how praying that every foster child in our region could get into a compassion Christian home could make a difference. And I'm telling you, there are many compassion Christians who are already moving in that direction. We have prayed and the mountain is moving. Imagine the difference we could make if you started to pray consistently. I mean, if you prayed specifically for some unreached people group or some persecuted church in one country or another. Man, if you don't know, I wouldn't know who to pray for. Go to our website. Uh, send an email to our missions, uh, our global outreach team. They'll tell you to pray for. Or what, look, mom, dad, what if you started having your children pray every night for a specific missionary? You just adopt that missionary in prayer. And you pray for them and their kids every night. Get a picture off our website. Frame it. Put it on your dinner table. Every night, you pray for every one of those folks by name. Friends, imagine how your children's worldview would change if dad and mom were leading a conversation in prayer about missionaries half a world away every day. You know, we actually have prayer teams that pray every week uh, for our church and, and for our ministry. We have prayer teams that travel to our mission partners when there's just an issue that needs prayer. And I want to show you this picture, that young man in the middle there, surrounded by compassion Christians. That young man was led to Jesus in one of the spiritually darkest places in South America because when Christians pray, mountains move and dude, walls come down. Now friends, we should never underestimate what our Father will do when we humbly and persistently ask Him to do through prayer what He already wants to do. And please, don't listen to this for somebody else. Dude, I'm talking to you. What would happen if you began to pray for one of our local, our, our global partners, man? I just wonder how God would use you and how your spiritual life would change and how your prayers would affect the world. And when you get to heaven, you'll find out. So prayer is just an amazing starting point. But let me tell you, we can also reach our world for Jesus right here, right now. If we will pray, yeah, God blesses that in amazing ways. But also if we give, everybody say give. Now, friends, Jesus said a lot of really startling things. And one of the most startling things to me is in Luke chapter 12, verse 48, when he says, to whom much is given, much will be required. 
Now, I don't know about you, but the first time I visited one of our international partners, God convinced me that I am one of those people who has received much. Much has been given to me. Now, the first time I went to visit our missionary partners in Guatemala, I carried a box of groceries to a family of five. Now, if you, could, if you see this picture, uh, that's me carrying that box. That box weighs about 1,100 pounds, so I had to use, you know, both hands. No, I'm just kidding about that. But anyway, we carried that box of groceries to a family of five that lived in a 12 by 12 hut. No indoor plumbing, tin roof, corn stalk walls, you know, to keep the weather out. One box spring and mattress set up on rocks to keep it off the dirt floor. I mean, when it rained, water ran through that little hut. That box of groceries has been provided by Compassion Kids. Our Compassion Kids ministry takes up an offering every week. And every time they get 50 bucks, they can buy a box of groceries that will feed a family for a month. Now, when I said goodbye to those folks after praying with them and visiting with them and getting to know them a little bit, and I started walking back up that hill, I was reminded that I was one of those folks to whom God has given much, which means that much is going to be required of me. And so I started thinking, what can I give? I mean, I can give money, that's easy, but, 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 but I've been given so much. What else can I give? One of the things I can give is encouragement. And listen, we can all do that. Now, you know, if you're a missionary in Rwanda, like my buddy uh, Anastas Sabamongo, uh, and Rwanda is your home, listen, you're serving in your homeland, Ministry might be tough, but at least that's where you live. I mean, everything's familiar, right? But if you're from Savannah or Statesboro or Midway or Effingham and you're serving in Thailand or China or North Africa, dude, that is totally different. That's about as familiar as living on the moon. So everybody got to be good at something, right? Let me tell you what I'm really good at. Beef jerky. I mean, I smoke some bad beef jerky. I, humility forbids me to tell you how good I am at this, all right? And so I smoked a big bag of uh, beef jerky and I sent it to one of our teams who was visiting one of our uh, mission partners in the Middle East, uh, not the Middle East, in the Far East. Uh, and they took that beef jerky and I didn't think much about it, but the guys who received that jerky were so grateful for something that tasted like home. You know, a familiar taste in a foreign country. I was shocked at how much they appreciated it. I also have a friend who is the praline queen of Savannah. I'm telling you, man, you do not want to eat one of her pralines unless you have a cup of black coffee in one hand or you will go immediately into insulin shock. I'm telling you, that's how it is, right? It's that good. So I called Sandy up with like two days notice. <laughs> this thought came to me and I was like, well, okay. I said, Sandy, would you mind making me 60 pralines? I'm leaving in two days to go on a mission trip and it's going to be a, a retreat with a bunch of our missionaries and I would just like to take them a taste of home. And she's like, no problem, I got this. Bro, she went to work and I mean a day or so later, her husband shows up at my house with Tupperware containers with individually wrapped pralines and I mean, I carried those things all the way to Poland and those missionaries lost their minds. It was just a little taste of home and it meant so much to them. <clears throat> Now, I have a uh, prayer practice that I would encourage uh, you to uh, think about. Uh, you know, when I do my daily devotions, when I'm doing it right, and I don't always do it right, but when I'm doing it right, I got three groups of people I pray for. I pray for my family and friends, you know, uh, people I know and love. Uh, I pray for my pastor friends. You know, I've got pastoral partners here in Savannah and around the world that I pray for. And then on the third day, I pray for our missionaries. And I got a list of all of them. I pray for all of our missionaries. And I try to pray for each of those groups, you know, one day each. And so when things are working right, and they don't always work right, but when they are working right, uh, I'm praying for our missionaries every third day. 
Now, a couple years ago, I started occasionally sending an email to the missionaries that I prayed for on that day. I mean, nothing fancy, just a simple little email saying, hey man, I was praying for you this morning. I want you to know I love you. I'm pulling for you. I'm in your corner. I'm praying for you. God bless you, man. Glad to be in the good fight with you. Simple, two or three sentences. You know what? I heard back from every one of those missionaries saying, thank you. Thank you for letting us know that you were praying for us. It meant so much to hear from our friends in Savannah. Now, you know, the apostle Paul wrote, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Little things, a little act of encouragement. We can all do that, right? Now, if you just picked up one of our missionaries and wrote them an email on their birthday, or every October, you just send them a little care package because October is Pastor Appreciation Month. Or you send them an email just saying, what, on the first day of the month, I'm going to email one missionary and say, I'm praying for you. You would be shocked at what that would mean to them. So we can give encouragement. We can also give money. Now, if you're on any of our campuses today, you received a carefully provided, sanitized, faith promise commitment card. Uh, and if you're online, you will see this uh, QR code which we, you can just take a picture with your camera of this card or online and it'll take you to our Faith Promise Commitment site. I don't want you to do anything with this right now, but this is how we support all of our global outreach partners. We make a faith promise. Now friends, a faith promise is a commitment that you make to give a certain amount of money above your tithe to global outreach in faith that God will provide it. Now, we're going to talk to your kids. I hope you will too. I hope children in our church will be pledging 25 cents a month or 25 cents a week if you're a little kid. Maybe $2.50 a week if you're a student, you know, 10 bucks a month. Or, or maybe $25 a week or $250 a week in addition to your tithe, depending on how you've been blessed and the strength of your faith. But man, when you turn this card in or, or you make that pledge online, we're going to tally the total up. And we're going to base our 2021 budget on these faith promises. And then we're going to throw these cards away. Man, our faith is in your faith and a mighty God who can provide. Now, the great thing about a faith promise is that it makes God the source. Dude, you're promising to give an amount to missions above your tithe, trusting that God will provide that. And listen, if he doesn't provide it, nobody's going to bill you. Nobody's going to bother you or hassle you. That's between you and the Lord. But if he does provide it, well, don't buy movies with it or macchiatos or minivans. Now, friends, none of us know what 2021 is going to hold for us, which is why it's so important that we put our confidence in the Lord that we do know. Now, friends, you need to know that by God's grace, because we're a small church that has a lot of people in it, over the last 17 years, we have invested over $22 million in local and global outreach, money that we have given away to bless other people. Friends, our faith promise pledges have totaled over a million dollars for local and global outreach every year for over a decade, which means because of your faithfulness, your generosity is taking the good news and making a difference here and now on five continents every single day. I mean, think about it. You don't think about this stuff. For five bucks, for five bucks, we can provide a bag like this that enables a kid to go to one of the wells that we drilled in Africa and the nozzle on that bag fits on the spot of that well and an elderly person or a little kid who can't carry a five gallon bucket of water in their hand or on their head can drape that bag over their shoulder and carry fresh, clean water back to their house. And friends, I'm just telling you, here's the, here's the beautiful unintended consequence. 
We're now finding these bags hanging outside bathrooms and latrines and classrooms at the schools where the little kids that we support go so that they can wash their hands like a surgeon. They're being taught to wash their hands. And friends, long before you ever heard the word COVID, God had used you and your generosity to save lives from it in Africa. So I hope you'll take this card home. Oh, I hope you'll hit this code and, and just pray, Lord, what faith promise do you want me to trust you for above my tithe this year? And I'll make that promise and Lord, I'll trust you to provide it. And then you come next week ready to make that pledge. Now friends, we can reach our world for Jesus if we pray and if we give, but also if we send. Everybody say send. Now listen, this is Grant Roscoviat. He's our downtown campus pastor. I can remember when Grant came to our church in high school as an unbeliever. And I remember when he gave his life to Christ and when he was baptized into Christ. And I watched him lead his whole family to Christ. They're all in our church right now. It's awesome. I can remember when he graduated from high school and went to Wheaton College in Chicago to play football. He invited me to come up there and speak at their football chapel. And I was glad to do that. I was so proud of the way that, you know, Grant took his faith to college with him and didn't blink. And then I remember when he and Natasha, you know, got married and they were serving as missionaries from our church in Haiti. And I don't know if you remember, there was a horrible earthquake that, that was followed by a cholera epidemic and they were right down there serving and we were able to support them and support, you know, the need in that country through them. It was awesome. But do you remember when Jesus said, give and it'll be given to you? Now, Jesus said, when you bless other people, you will be blessed. And listen, as a church today, after investing so much in discipling and de developing and deploying Grant in ministry, he's back serving our family. He's back serving in our downtown campus today. He is now making the ministry stronger that God used to make him strong. Now, friends, if we will make a difference here by praying and giving and sending, and then finally, if we're willing to go. Everybody say go. God is calling all of us to go somewhere. It might be down the street. It might be in our town, in our region, in our country, to the ends of the earth. But friends, in January in 2021, we're going to be hosting what we call our Global Encounter. And we're going to make the lobby here at the Henderson campus just look like a big missions expo. Uh, we'll do it online as well. There'll be information on every trip in 2021 will be available, local and domestic. My prayer is that you will make plans to come, and get informed so that you can pray and you can give with a sense of purpose and you can maybe help somebody else to go or you can go yourself, maybe across town, maybe across the country, maybe across the world. Because friends, when you hear God's call and you say yes, a spiritual adventure will begin for you and our world will change here and now. Father, thank you for this opportunity we've had to talk. Lord, about the impact we can make, not just locally, but globally. I'm so thankful, Lord, for the changes happening in so many of our families, and we're so thrilled about that. How could we not want that for other people? And I pray, God, that Jesus, Jesus' prediction will come true in our church, that we will be his witnesses here, and Lord, in our region, and then in our nation, and then in our world, and our world will be better because we have served you here. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus, Lord. Amen.